over the next few weeks, we're going to come back to the ways of Jesus. And we're going to talk over the next few weeks about certain characteristics in Jesus' life. If you haven't kept up with some of that, uh, several months ago, actually maybe more like a year ago, we began looking at some key habits in Jesus' life, things that Jesus actually did on a regular basis, lifestyle habits of Jesus. Jesus always put the kingdom first. Jesus told the truth. And I don't mean like he didn't lie. I mean, he, was, he, was, he meant what he said and he said what he meant. He was always truthful. Jesus told us to engage our neighbor. That was something that he did. He engaged the people around him and the people that, that the, the Father put in his path. He was constantly teaching us what it meant to engage the people around us, right? And, and Jesus talked to us about practicing the presence. He was one of the key ways of Jesus' lifestyle was he actually spent time with God more so than just praying in the morning. He had a lifestyle rhythm of paying attention to what God was doing in, around him. And today we're going to talk about living free. This is one of the lifestyle habits of Jesus, that Jesus lived free. He set people free in, uh, physically. Sometimes he healed them, but he was always looking to set people free spiritually. And today, we're going to talk specifically about what it means to live free from comparison. Comparison is something that, that I believe every human heart struggles with. I, I know I do, and that doesn't, you know, it's, you would think, you know, a guy like me is supposed to say things like that. I'm telling you, I, I, I do. I think that, I think it's, I think it looks different for all of us. I, I think the, the things that you compare yourself to or compare your, maybe your worth or your net worth or whatever you, body, uh, talent, I, I don't know that it's, it's anywhere close to the same for all of us, but I know that we all do it. And I think we do it far more than we realize. And I'll tell you why I believe that God wants to set us free from comparison. Because comparison breeds lies by distorting reality. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write that down. Comparison breeds lies. And the way it breeds lies is it distorts reality. It just, the comparison will distort reality by, by breeding a lie. And you'll start be believing things that necessarily aren't true at all. I believe that comparison is, it's a pathway. It's, it's a, first of all, I think it's a pathway to envy. You know, when you start comparing other people at, at how good they are at something, you start looking at other, you start leveraging one life to the next. It makes you envious of some things that maybe you don't have. And I think it destroys gratitude. It, it really does. It destroys gratitude because you start focusing so much instead of, of what you actually have around you, you start looking at what you don't have, Right? And a lot of the things that, that I don't have in my life, they're not needs, they're wants. There's a big difference between a need and a want, right? We could all agree with that, right? I don't know. Do y'all agree with y'all? Pretty flat this morning, right? I need a little help up here, okay? So it's true. We, we have needs and wants, and sometimes we get those distorted. Comparison will get you thinking about other people all the time. And I will tell you this, in... You know, I, I'm a little bit different than, than a lot of our people 30 years old and under, and many of you are in this category with me. We remember life before the smartphone, and we remember life before social media, right? And, 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 and I think comparison was always there. It was always around. But man, let's just face it. Social media poured nuclear gas, octane, fuel, propane, whatever you want to throw in there. It put it on there, man, and it made us all compare. But I will tell you something. 
That's not social media's fault. Whose fault do you think that is, crowd? Ours. Yeah, some of y'all are playing along. I got a few over here kind of with me. That's right. They're up front. That's why y'all sit up front. It's good. Yeah. Social media only has the power that you give it. It only has the power you give it. And you're only seeing people's highlight reel. That's all you're seeing. You're only seeing what they let you see. You're only seeing what, what they're letting you in to see. And by most people's social media reels, everybody's a rock star, you know, with fabulous vacations, really cool wardrobes, and for some reason, a lot of good food, you know, um, and stellar coffee, uh, you know, but, but it's, it's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we can sit there and start doom scrolling, learn that word from my kids, doom scrolling, you know, where you're, oh, look, oh, what? I don't even... How they get to go to that vacation? I, they don't have that kind of money. I know they don't. Then you, you're just doom scrolling, you know, and, you're, and, and you start off and running, right? Well, let me tell you, this is one thing I love about, about the, the Word of God. What I love about the Word of God is that God did not leave you without tools and truth and power to deal with your life. If anybody ever tells you the Word of God isn't relevant, that's just not true. Now, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to get to that actually a little bit in the end, and I've got to set up some context for you. 1 Corinthians, right? It's in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. Just keep going past the Gospels and, and Acts, and you'll hit 1 Corinthians pretty soon. And this is a church at Corinth. Now, let me tell you what would have happened in this day. If you're, if you're, if you're kind of new to, to the Bible world, I was certainly new, and I find myself, the older, the older that I get in the Scriptures, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm claiming the prophet Don Henley. The more I know, the less I understand, right? And, and it's like you find, start thinking you know things, and the older you get, like, I don't know. I, there's a lot more I don't know. But I will tell you, if, in case you don't know, the, the churches, they weren't like this. They, they were in houses. And so Paul and some of the apostles would go start these churches, and they would move on and, and different people in the community. So this would have been written to a bunch of people in a town called Corinth, and, or if you're from Mississippi, Corinth. And, and that's, you know, if some of y'all get that. If you don't, I went to school near there. Uh, so I didn't know where Corinth was, and I, I found out it started with a C and not a K because it sounded like K. But... Corinth was a place where they would have had house churches, and they would have taken this letter that you're reading, and they would have spread it around the churches, and they would have read it. And, and so Paul's got a real problem. Paul's not immune to comparison. A couple of things had happened. One, not in any particular order, but one was there were a group that they were calling the super apostles. They weren't calling themselves that. I think Paul called them that. They were these younger guys, slick, polished, eloquent, coming in with all kinds of new knowledge, and the people in the church at Corinth were like, oh, wow, they sure are smart. Wow, they sure are really good. In fact, I love how Paul calls them out, right? This is a verse he says. In, in 2 Corinthians, look at the screen. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles, right? And, and so he, he called them out in the Bible, which I think is pretty amazing and kind of funny. But he says, I, there, there's people, they're, they're, getting, they're the new brand, they're the new buzz, and all of a sudden he's got some people that, that are uh, starting a, a whole new movement, and some of the people in the church are kind of going, well, they're, they kind of look like the next big thing. But there was something else that was going on in, in Paul's life, too. And Paul makes an allusion to this, too, in one of his letters. Paul was getting audited, and I don't mean the, of the tax kind. 
He was in the human courtroom. People were evaluating him in all kinds of ways, and he, and he shows that in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 10. Go to the next verse. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 10, 10. If you're taking notes, write this down, because this is all context that goes into where we're about to go in 1 Corinthians 4. So Paul is quoting what he's hearing, right? He's quoting the hearsay. For they say his letters, like that, the very letter you're reading, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Well, buddy, I mean, let me just break that on down for you, all right? They don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you dress. They don't like the way you talk, right? Yeah, I mean, they went to the bone on this thing. In fact, if this was a Google review, right, I kind of broke it down for you. It looks like this. Go to the next image for me. Yeah, they were saying he's amateurish in his speaking ability, deficient in body image, and he's lacking in achievement. Let me tell you where I'm getting the achievement thing from. Not just the super apostles, but there's evidence that some people were frustrated and mad because he wouldn't, that he, he didn't have the glowing resume. He was, a, he was a bivocational person, right? Boy, I tell you, isn't it, isn't it fascinating? As much as humanity has evolved, we really haven't gone that far, have we? Not at all. We hadn't gone that far. Now, can you imagine if any of these people did get to heaven, right? And I don't know what memory's like in heaven. I don't think we'll have any. But let's just pretend for a minute. We can all pretend, right? Walk up, and you see Paul, and you're like, oh, yeah, how are y'all? Yeah. Oh, you're the one that wrote half the New Testament. Yeah, I know. I wasn't a very good speaker, though. You know, uh, you know, my resume was awful, you know. I mean, if I was Paul, that's why I'm not Paul. Because I would have, you know, I'd find a way to find those people in heaven and say, hey, y'all want to see the book? You know, evidently I was pretty good, you know. No, man. But it just goes to show you, even Paul, even Paul is not exempt. But what gets me even more, it's not, okay, fine, pick on his speaking, whatever. P speaking is preferential. It just is. There are some speakers you love, some you don't, some you tolerate, whatever. It, it, it's just, it is what it is. And you have to be yourself as a speaker. I can, I can attest to that right? Achievement. Well, if you're going to measure achievement, well, I mean, my gosh, there's people you're, you've done more than they have, and there's people you're, you could never catch them in, in 10, 10 lifetimes. But to go after the guy's personal image, boy, that, you've turned a corner. You mean, you've turned a corner. You're, 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 you're malicious in how he looks you don't like the way he dresses? Man, that's, that's hardcore. So we all are faced with critics in life. And sometimes we're our own worst critic. And sometimes we're comparing ourselves all the time. But I will tell you one of the things the Bible tells me about me and what the Bible tells you about you. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. Notice he didn't say you have the brain of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, you don't have the brain of Christ. When you, you've heard me say before, I'm going to say it again. When you came to Jesus, you did not get a new brain, but you did get a new mind. 
And your mind is now the mind of Christ. And so you have the ability to take the things that come your way, take your thoughts captive. And so when you find yourself in the comparison trap, and I'm telling you, if you have never found yourself in the comparison trap, you're either arrogant or you're lying to yourself or you're just tone deaf. And I don't think you're any of those things. I think we would all admit it, that we've done it, and we probably do it every day, multiple times, whether we even know it or not. We really do. So how do we have the mind of Christ? Because this isn't going to go away. It's not going to go away. How do I do that? Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 4, chapters, uh, one, verses 1 through 4. This is going to be, we're going to work off chapters 3 and 4 today in a few ways because they, they go together. But here's what Paul says. Let a man regard, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, in this case, moreover, it is required of a steward, a manager, if you don't, you're not familiar with that word, it means, just means manager, and that, that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Think about the power of that statement when you look at it in comparison to Paul's past. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, and yet I am not by this acquitted. I mean, I'm not innocent, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So how do we go about, how do we go about having the mind of Christ and being free from comparison? Because I really do believe that God wants to set us free from comparing ourselves to anybody. I heard, you've heard it said once, uh, be you. I think it was Thoreau that said, be you, uh, everybody else is taken, or something like that. I think, how, how, do, we, how do we live that out? Well, I would give you a few. Uh, I had five, and I shrunk it down to three just out of my love for having to, not having to endure all my speaking, okay? But here's, here's three principles I found. One, know the calling of God specific to me. Let me tell you why that matters. You hear us talk all the time at Clearview about the, the, the incredible importance of you knowing why God put you on the planet. Why did God put you on the planet? You are not an accident. God put you here for a reason, and, and so what is your calling? Your, when I say calling specific, I don't mean that, you know, God wants you to be a banker in this bank, on this street, in this town. He may have just called you to the financial world. That's, that's good enough. Or he may have called you to the education system. He, he may be, have called you in the last few years to be a stay-at-home mom. What a calling. He, he is, he may, no matter what he's called you to, there's a realm that he's asked you to step into and a realm he's told you to stay out of, Right? But when you know the calling specific to you, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 is where, if you're just one chapter over, let me tell you what's going on here. There's one part of the, of the context I left out before I, I get into this a little further. There was also a comparison going around the church between Paul and a man named Apollos. And so Apollos was a really good teacher. He was really good at what he did. And there were people in the church that were starting to choose sides. Oh, well, no, but I'm discipled by Apollos. Well, no, well, I, I'm a disciple of Paul. And they begin, I don't, I don't get any inf inference that, that Paul and Apollos were doing this. I think it's people were doing this. And they were leveraging them one to another. And Paul wasn't going to have it. And so... All of a sudden, Paul just tells them in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, this is what he says, I planted the church, Apollos watered it, and God was causing the growth. See, he knew his role. 
And, and when you know your calling, let me tell you something about this. This is so important. I'm telling you, if you struggle with comparison or if you fight it sometimes, whether it makes you angry or depressed, it can do both. If you struggle with this, I'm telling you, when you know why God put you here, you know what begins to happen to people? They're not a threat to you anymore. They're really not a threat to you. I'm going to tell you something, man. Before I came to Christ, man, if you, you guys think I'm competitive now, you should have met me B.C., right? I want to tell you something, man. I wasn't just competitive. I didn't like you, and I hadn't even met you yet, right? If you were in my world of athletics or anything, you were trying to take my spot, Right? I heard somebody say not too long ago, an uh, NFL analyst just a few weeks ago say, the greatest athletes spend an entire career with a chip on their shoulder because they just have to fuel it and find a way to stay motivated. But when you know why God put you on the planet, all of a sudden people aren't a threat to you. And I will tell you, it, it matters a lot. But if you don't know your calling, you're vulnerable. And you're vulnerable to the lies of the enemy, you see, because comparison breeds lies by distorting reality. Comparison breeds lies by distorting reality. So you got to know your calling. Paul said, no, no I, I started it, but I'm not going to finish it. In fact, Paul rarely finished much of anything he started. He started it and he handed it over. It's a great missions model. Apollos came in and watered it, and God, but God gave the growth. So that's the first key truth, know your calling, specific to you. But the second truth comes right on the other side of that coin. Value the calling God has given to others. When you can learn to value the calling that God has given to others, man, it really does matter. Look at, look at what he said, Paul, here in uh, 1 Corinthians. Look at the verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 8, just two verses down. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his labor. When you learn to value the calling that somebody else has, you can be free from comparison. And I'll, I'll, I'll go a little further. Before I came to know Christ, everybody was a threat to me if they were trying to do what I was trying to do. If that was golf or academics or anything, they were a threat to me because I, I wanted to be first. But I will tell you, man, when I came to Christ... One of the th things I noticed early in my Christian journey, and I mean like in the first year of my Christian journey, in the first few months of my Christian journey when I was 18 years old, I began to have compassion on people that I used to not be able to even like. I actually used to pull for people that were once enemies. I'm like, where is that coming from? What has changed it doesn't make me a hero, but I could feel it. I didn't see people the way I used to see them. I knew something was changing in me. And, and so I began to see that, yeah, oh, I, I get it over time, that what Paul is saying right here is that the team works together to achieve, achieve the glory of God. And I, and I will tell you something, man. When, when you start knowing your calling... And then when you start valuing other people's calling, you want to talk about joy. Joy will come in ways it's never come to you before. Because you will start to see that, man, not only am I not good at this, 
I need you. I need you to do what you do and be who you are. I saw it in my marriage over the years. I saw it in my friendships. I, I saw it in every area of life. I began to value. I went from just going, oh, well, yeah, they're better at that than I am, you know. And then I would think, you know, I should, be, I should work harder to be better at what I should be better at. To going, hey, it's great that I can never be that good in anything. It's actually set, it set me free. To know, oh, wow, I'm okay. I, I don't have to be good at all. Let me tell you something, friends, and this isn't even in my notes. This is for free, but somebody needs it evidently. All right? Balance is a myth. Listen, I want to say that again. Balance is a myth. You hear all these people talking about a balanced leader? Baloney. Read the Bible. The place that you are positively out of round is in your talent. The play, biblically, the, 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 the scriptures don't tell us that nobody gets all the gifts. Nobody, right? Nobody, nobody gets all the gifts. There is the, the place where you are positively abnormal is in your gifting. It's where you're positively abnormal. And the best performance coaches in the world will tell you to play from strength. Play from strength. Play from what you're good at. Quit trying to be something you're not. And, and, and go, in what, go with what you're good at, and that will be the best version of you. Um, I'll tell you the, the story that really set me free. Uh, I was in college, and I was really struggling with this very thing. Uh, you know, it was my senior year, and I was looking at a lot of things. What could I do differently, and why am I not? Some of the things aren't going the way I want them to. And True story. I can almost take you to the street in Florence, Alabama, where I heard this story on the radio. And this psychologist was on. Uh, remember when uh, Dobson used to have his talk show for uh, many of you, his radio show? Remember James Dobson? And so I was listening to this. The psychologist was saying, um, you, you may have heard some version of this story. It was the first time I'd ever heard it. It said, uh, a man's running through the backcountry and he's being pursued by a lion in Africa. Lions running after him. And he realizes that he's not going to outrun the lion. He's just not. So he backs up against a, an acacia tree, and, and, he, and he looks at the lion running at him, and he begins to pray. Oh, God, make the lion a Christian. Make the lion a Christian. Make the lion a Christian, and then he won't eat me. Make the lion a Christian lion, and then he won't eat me. And the lion gets about 16 to 17 strides, throws on the brakes, and the lion drops to his knees. And he's like, Hallelujah! He starts to pray. And the guy, the guy becomes an instant Pentecostal, right? He, he, he's excited. He's got overjoy, right? Then he listens to what the lion says. Lord, thank you for this meal I'm about to eat. Bless it to my body and my body to your service, right? And he gets up and he eats the guy. And I'm going, what kind of sick and twisted story is this? I mean, I'm serious. I remember looking at the radio like, who is this person? But then the, the lady, she just delivers the, the death blow. She said, you can make the lion a Christian, but he's still a lion. And lions eat things. In fact, if he tries to be anything other than a lion, he's actually going to frustrate and work against the very reason God ever made him a lion. You see, some of you, the reason you're comparing all the time is you've never discovered how God made you. 
And it's really hard for you to value the giraffes of this world and the rhinos and the hyenas and all the other things out there. So learn to value that. I'll give you one more. And this is where Paul goes off the map. I mean, this one I didn't see coming. Truthfully, I've never looked at it like this. And it really messed with my head in the best way. Here's the third truth that you can have the mind of Christ and be free from comparison. Steward the space God has given me. Let me tell you where Paul does that. If, don't you find it a little interesting in verses 1 and 2 that he uses this word stewardship before he uses the words about the courtroom? It doesn't make a lot of sense unless you just kind of drill down for a minute. And this is what he said, verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. Let a man... That is, humans, let people regard us in this way. Look at me this way. As a servant of Christ and a manager, steward, caretaker of the mysteries of God. In this particular case, he's talking to the Corinthian church, it is required that a steward be found trustworthy. I, I thought, holy cow, he, he's going off the map. He's actually inventing a new map right here. And here's how he's doing it. He's realizing that I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. I did my job. And I don't have time to think about the super apostles. I don't have time to think about some of you that don't like the way I look don't like the way I talk, don't like my speaking style. You certainly obviously don't like my letters. You don't like the job I have or even the way I do it. And you know what he's saying? I don't care. And he's not saying I don't care in a way of like, I don't care. No, he's saying it, it, it's, it's irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant to me because God gave me a space. And it made me, it made me think, as I was thinking about this, he's using the word steward, and he's using the words planted and watered. It made me think about farmers. I love farmers. Man, I love farmers. They're incredibly intelligent people, many of which have never gone to school other than their high school education. But I will give you a challenge. You take 500 rows of dirt, plant anything in it, and see if it comes out of the ground. Good luck, people. It's, if you, I've said this many times. If you knew what it took to get that bean from that field to your fork, you would call them heroes. I mean it. But you know one thing I've learned about farmers? You know what I've never seen a farmer do, and I've known a lot of them. You know what I've never seen a farmer do? Stand there, drive, or pull off on the side of the road, look at somebody else's field and go, you know, I never have liked them. How'd their corn get that big? Well, they're just, I don't even like the family. They're, my tractors are better. You know, I got a 16-row planter, and they got an 8-row planter. How'd they get that? Every time I go to market, their yields are better than me. I don't, you know why they don't have time to do that? They're too busy working in their own dirt. They're just too busy working in their own dirt. They don't have time for it. And, and I think that's a lesson for me. I think it's a lesson for all of us. They don't have the time to look around. So I wrote this down because I was afraid I would forget it. But this is what I want you to walk away with when it comes to 
this teaching from Paul. Steward the space. Oswald Chambers said it this way, before I show you what I wrote down. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, good grammar, it is, good grammar it may not be, but you cannot serve God where you're not at. You cannot serve God where you're not at. You can only serve God in the space that you've been given. So maximize the space. Fill the jar to the top. Put it all the way to the edges, whatever space you've been given. That's consistent with the ways of Jesus, isn't it? If you want to be faithful in a lot, be faithful in a little. Right? Steward the space God has given you. So I wrote this down, and I don't want us to forget this. Here, here it is. Nothing can render the poison of comparison to be impotent faster than stewarding your calling with gratitude and passion. Now, I put a lot of thought into that, and I want you all to memorize it this week, and we're going to use it for an agreement next week, okay? But I want to read that to you again. Nothing can render the poison of comparison to be impotent faster than these three ingredients. Stewarding your space with gratitude and passion. Gratitude for the fact that you have any space to govern at all. And passion to do it. What I love about how Paul has what he said in this verse, you talk about, I told you he went off the map when it came to, man, if you will just steward your space and manage what you've been given, but then he takes it even to another level. Like, you know, a ratchet, he ratches it to another level when he said what he said in verse 3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you. You ever had people examine you all the time? You ever had friends like that? Some of y'all are looking like you don't want to say. Maybe they're sitting around near you or something. I don't know. You ever had people that are always auditing everything you do? You ever had people at work or people always noticing every little thing about you? Paul is saying, hey, look, I... And by the way, we live in a world like that. We live in a world, and I, I am bound to determine, as much as it depends on me, and I may be the only one, but I'm telling you, I am working so hard, just so you know where I'm at on this issue. I am working so hard to be free from human opinion. And it's hard. Because once I figure out how to do that, then there's my opinion of me. And my opinion of me is way more brutal than your opinion of me at times. But then Paul goes to a different level. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. And then he throws this missile. I don't even judge myself. You need to meditate on that this week. He's saying, I'm not even going to be the victim of my own condemnation. Don't you think he had it? Look at his past. He said, no, I'm not even judging myself. It is so counterculture. It is so counterculture. When it comes to the courtroom of human opinion, you know what Paul did? He left the courthouse. I mean, he didn't even stick around. In the courtroom of human opinion, and by the way, we're all up against the courtroom of human opinion every day of our lives. 
He's like, no, I'm not even, even going to stay for it. And I, and I find that to be fascinating when it comes to living free. You know, the, the interesting thing about living free in Christ and leaving the courtroom of human opinion to me is that if you look at the way our world works, and I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying it is, it is what it is. But the way that our world works is that we are judged on our performances. People look at our performance all the time, and some of you work in cultures where it's just brutal. We are judged on... So the performance comes first, and the verdict comes later, right? But here's the great and freeing thing about Jesus. Is the verdict on your life came before you were even born. The verdict came 2,000 years ago when you, in the eyes of God, were never going to be competent anyway. The verdict came 2,000 years ago when God saw the numbers of hair that would be on your head and knew your name and where you would live and where you would thrive and where you would exist but he knew that you were never going to be enough for anybody or yourself or even enough for him. So he flipped the model. The verdict came first. But once that verdict came and you came into Christ and you've been set free from the power of sin and the dominion of the principalities of this world, you are actually set free to thrive. You're actually set free to perform. You're actually set free to be whatever God wants you to be, regardless of what anybody thinks. You do not have to live in the courtroom of human opinion because the verdict on your life came before you were ever born. And the day you came to Christ, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified, not made better, not repurposed, not painted up and made over. I've been crucified in Christ and I no longer live. But... Jesus Christ now lives in me, and the life I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave his life for me. We are free from the courtroom of anybody's opinion, even the courtrooms in our hearts. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, Something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them. Man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.